Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the podcast for anyone who's ever felt the nagging frustration of wondering if her life is too small, too boring, or too ordinary to make a difference. We're here to explore the surprising ways that cultivating ordinary life leads to extraordinary stories. I'm Lisa Joe, tea drinker, lawyer in another life, and South African by birth, if you're wondering about the accent. I have three very loud kids, a husband who's never run through an airport to stop me getting on a flight, and I write about how to love your middle, the years and the muffin top both. And I'm Christy. Once upon a time, I got my PhD in English Lit, planning on a particular kind of life. But a few years later, I traded the classroom for a picket-fenced garden and an old farmhouse. Today, I write books, books about the beauty of the ground beneath my feet, I also grow zucchini my four kids refuse to eat. As always, we are recording out in Pennsylvania at Christie's 100-year-old farmhouse called Maplehurst. That's currently covered in scaffolding because of all the places it's falling apart. (laughs) Don't forget the holes in the porch. I know, and the smell of mushroom farms and manure. Right, because when we say out of the ordinary, we mean it. Our friendship, this farmhouse, and all our conversations grew out of small, ordinary, everyday moments. Because really, the truth is that everything big starts small. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, you shared in an earlier episode your first memory of meeting me and my husband Jonathan, but I haven't shared my first memory of you. And I made fun of you because you don't remember my first memory, but now I'm realizing I'm not sure. You may (laughs) not remember this. Let's see. Yeah, that year was a blur. My first memory of you is sitting in your apartment in Chicago, on the north side of Chicago. Right. Was it Wrigleyville? Was that the neighborhood? No, we were in um, Wicker Park. Wicker Park, that's right. Right next door to Ukrainian Village. Yes, yes. So I remember sitting in your apartment with a group of young married couples, Yep, and you were not there. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right for that year. Oh it my was goodness. your home, but you were not there. Your husband, Peter, was there, and he was hosting us. And we were sitting around having a little church small group for young married couples, and we were meeting in your apartment. I think at that point, we would switch off. We would right. meet in different apartments. Different people hosted at different times. That's correct. But you were not there. And I, I remember how you would That's rush so in. Perhaps, <sighs> I don't remember that. Halfway or toward the end of our time together, you would rush into the apartment and you were dressed like, um, I thought, like an attorney on a TV show. Like <laughs> You you look like Law and & Order. <laughs> and you would... <sighs> You would Uh, apologize and you'd rush in. I'm so sorry. Uh, Hello, everyone. And you'd go into the kitchen and you would get uh, what you would tell us your husband jokingly referred to as prison food. (laughs) I can't believe you remember this. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Which means that you would would fix a piece of toast for yourself for supper. Like toast and a cup of tea. Yes. And then you you would come and you would join us for the end maybe the closing prayer or something and did i really miss that much of it because in my mind i feel like i was always at those but that year is such a blur i worked so much yes oh my gosh because i had the business card and i think that is the story we're sharing today this idea of what defines our significance what makes us matter Mm. and for a really long time All the way through high school, then through college, then through law school, I had my sights set on a high cardstock business card Mm. with my title 
with the Esquire at the end ah. for being an attorney. Oh, that is impressive. Yes, Lisa I can see the appeal Esquire, of that. <laughs> you know, printed like embossed on the card oh. so you can feel it with your finger. And to me, that meant I've arrived. Mm-hmm. I have now achieved a certain level of significance, of status, of worth. Mm-hmm. I have weight in the world. I matter. And so it was so important to me. And I chased that dream for a very long time. It cost a lot of money. <laughs> I remember my dad, when Peter asked for my hand in marriage, you know, my dad jokingly at the end said, yes, and I'm happily I give her and all of her law school loans to you. <laughs> very romantic. Uh, <laughs> Took us 17 years to pay those off. Is that like a reverse dowry? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a reverse dowry. That's so great. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, I, I really, I was so passionate about the practice of law. I still feel very passionately, especially about international law or human rights law. I grew up in South Africa under the apartheid government. And I remember talking to my mom, just, I mean, the things we saw growing up and my parents were pretty resistant um, in their, you know, the choices they made, how they behaved, who their friends were constantly trying to push back against the government. But my mom told me one day, the only way you can change these is from the inside. You need to get inside and change the law. The Uh, law needs to change. uh, That is how we get justice now. We must change these laws. And I said to myself, and I must have been like, I don't know, 14 at the time, mm, I will be a lawyer mm, and I will do that. mm, I will change the law. And so I came to college in the States. I went to Notre Dame Law School. I got my degree. By the time I you know, even by the time I was in college, South Africa was changing. The laws did change. Nelson Mandela was voted in as the first, you know, truly African black president. Um, South Africa slowly the wheels ground forward, and change came. So by the time I emerged from law school, a lot of the work I wanted to be part of had happened while I was becoming educated. And I got sucked into that vortex that kind of tends to happen when you're coming out of law school of big firms who approach you and, you know, you are desperate to pay off your law school loans and you take big firm jobs. And I mean that I was just missing in action that entire year from my marriage in my life. (laughs) I just worked. I worked all the time, but I really believed that was my understanding of my significance. And I really continue to be a large part of my story. And it's interesting to always talk to you because at the same time that I was working at the firm, I mean, you were in Chicago getting a degree at the University of Chicago of all places. That's true. That's true. One of the most prestigious grad programs in the nation. That's true. I was chasing my own dream of significance. And for me, that meant a book lined office somewhere on a college campus uh, with my name on the door. Nice. The brass plaque. Dr. Purifoy. Oh, nice. English department. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I hear you. That's what I wanted. And, uh, just like you wanted that Esquire on the business card sometimes because it was a long process to earn that degree. And I had babies while I was doing it eventually. And there were moments where I thought I may never, this is really, really hard. Um, And I I don't know if I can do this, but I would comfort myself with the dream of being called Dr. Purifoy. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get to call you that more often. I shouldn't throw it out in conversation. (laughs) Uh, You know, an, an aside is that today, of course, no one calls me Dr. Purifoy. Right. But my dear, sweet mother and father-in-law, 
who will be listening to this podcast, I know, because they have told me how much they enjoy it. And I'm so grateful for that. It never fails that if they send me a birthday card or a Mother's Day card, they write on the front of the envelope, no. Dr. Oh, Christy Purifoy. so much. <laughs> it is one of the sweetest gifts they give me. But they are oh, the only ones who ever call me Dr. Purifoy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I believed it and I had it. I had the business card and I had the big office and I had an awesome secretary. And then Peter received a fellowship to go and study in Ukraine for 10 months. And so I resigned my job at the firm. And I'm I'm going to tell you happily, because it had been a pretty miserable <laughs> first year there of working around the clock. All the cliches about lawyers are true. They work all the time. And a lot of the people I spent time with at that firm were really unhappy. And um you know, not to say that there aren't people who love what they do at big firms, but there are just a lot of stereotypes that exist for a reason. So I resigned my position there. We moved to Ukraine and it was so fun because, well, first of all, it wasn't fun in the beginning because I spoke no Russian at all and no Ukrainian and the entire world was in Cyrillic there. I mm. felt like I was a three-year-old. I mean, mm. well, when did children learn to speak Two. I mean, I was a a toddler learning to speak a language. And Peter was there for language studies. He speaks Ukrainian. He had studied it at school. He's a political scientist. He was there to study the transition going on in the Ukrainian government. And he had language classes he went to, and he was interviewing officials and all the stuff. And I, I couldn't go anywhere because all the signs, all the street signs are in Cyrillic. Ugh. I couldn't catch the metro. Wow. Because, and so I remember after the first few weeks telling Peter, oh my word, you cannot be my only friend. Like, I love you, but I have got to get other people in my life. Like, this cannot continue. And I remember telling him, I have to get out of this house. Like, I have got to go somewhere. I kid you not, he wrote down on index cards for me in Cyrillic, the name of our metro stop where we lived, the name of the metro stop I, I was going to, this big public oh. square, this beautiful tourist area. And I took that metro and I held the card up and compared it <laughs> to all the signs as they came up and just matched it. Like, oh. you know, I was playing some matching puzzle game, <laughs> hoping I was getting out at the right place. And then um, I realized... I was going to have to learn the language if I wanted to survive those 10 months. And so we had a wonderful tutor. She came every day for three hours a day wow. and tutored me at my house. We did all this role play. You know, she would be the babushka in the market selling cabbage and mm. I would be the person trying to buy it or trying to catch a taxi or, you know, trying to go into McDonald's and order. <laughs> you know? And so I slowly, slowly started to learn Russian and you know, I didn't know what I was supposed to do while I was there. Here I am with my big fancy law degree. I had had this business card. I was litigation associate in a big firm. Now I'm in a country where I cannot speak the language. Mm. I don't know how to get a job. I have no friends. And I'm just tagging along with Pete. And he went to a big conference that USAID put on that was about anti-human trafficking. Okay. That, and I attended that the conference. Promising. Yes. And I was, I'm so passionate about human rights. It's really the kind of law I'd wanted to practice initially. And it's funny, Pete now is the director and a professor of a large program of students who often ask me, how did you get XYZ cool job? And so I always tell them the story. I showed up, I didn't know anybody. I heard all the speakers and then the chief of mission of the International Organization for Migration spoke about this amazing program they run in Kiev that both helps to 
provide awareness about trafficking, but then also reintegration for trafficking victims to bring them back to Ukraine, working with the police force, as well as prosecution Mm -hmm. of traffickers. And I just thought to myself, oh, my word, I have to work for them. Mm -hmm. I just I have to work for them. And I sat waiting to speak to him after the event. There was a huge line of people. Everybody wanted to talk to him. He paid me no attention at all. I was clearly not important. I just sat at the side and I just outweighed everybody else wow, until I was the last you. person. And he was forced to give me his attention. And I talked about how wonderful their program was. He was not interested in what I was saying at all until I said the magic words. And this is what I always tell Peter's students. I told him, I'm an attorney from the States. I'm here for 10 months and I'm looking for somewhere to volunteer. Uh, (laughs) He turned to me with laser focus and said, I kid you not, he was like, can you start on Thursday? (laughs) (laughs) So I traded my Chicago business card for one I loved much more, Mm. this business card that said anti-trafficking specialist. I was their Mm. anti-trafficking legal specialist. I came on as a volunteer, but I ended up getting hired and we were only supposed to be in Ukraine for 10 months and we stayed for two and a half years because of my job. Oh, I had forgotten that you were there that long. A really long stretch. And I got to do just some of the most meaningful work I've ever been part of with some of the most courageous people. Um, We ran a special medical center just to help victims of trafficking who come back with such unique, you know, really health crises that they're facing as well as psychological counseling. And um, they, it was just so meaningful that I got to be part of that. And so there I was with my next business card. And this is going to sound so cheesy, but I actually like saved those business cards and wanted to make like an art thing where I framed like the different jobs that I had, these important business cards. And Um, I just, I felt like it defined me. It made me special. It made me significant. It made me feel courageous. And Chrissy, I'm going to admit out loud now something that is really embarrassing to say, you know, considering I now have three children I'm raising of my own. But I, in that season of my life, I really believe that being a mom was just a cop out. Like, I'm so sorry you couldn't cut it in real life. Like, I'm sorry you couldn't get a real job. (laughs) And you're just going to stay home with these children. That's so sad. And I totally, I looked down on moms and I just thought that is just so pathetic. Like, what a waste Mm. of your time. All you do is stay home with these children and Mm. you could be changing the world like me with my fancy business card. And I really thought that for quite a long time. I thought I was defined by my business card, whereas other women were defined by their children. So for a long time, I thought you were either defined by your fancy title or you were defined by your children, you know, and I wanted to be defined by my significant contribution to the world, Mm. not by sort of the sad life where you stay home and change diapers. Mm. (laughs) But since God has such a unique sense of humor, (laughs) I now full time write books and encourage moms for a living. For the last two years while I was working for the online community Encourage, one of the pieces of my job that was incredibly exciting was getting an insider's look at how a new Bible comes together. And I'm so excited to keep sharing with you this month about the Encourage Devotional Bible. It is the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, and it is available at Lifeway stores across the country. It's also available online at Lifeway.com. And Lifeway has been 
such a fervent partner in this project with Encourage, coming up with new ways to share what Scripture stories look like through the eyes of 122 women who all contributed devotionals to this Bible. Now, here's half the fun. When last were you in a Lifeway store? Go into your store so that you can touch and feel the four different types that the Bible comes in. We have a version that is green cloth overboard, a blue leather touch, a navy genuine leather, and a gray hardcover version of the Bible. If you're at Lifeway.com, it's 30% off. But if you're in the area, stop by your local neighborhood Lifeway store to enjoy experiencing this brand new Bible in person. Now, one of the ways that it's so exciting to be able to share with you about the Bible is it also gives us an opportunity to highlight a brand new up-and-coming voice in the writer community. Christy, who did you want to tell us about today? I'm so excited to tell everyone about Sean Smucker, and especially his books, The Day the Angels Fell and the just-released sequel, The Edge of Over There. And these are imaginative stories for older kids and their grown-ups, and really they're for anyone who has struggled with why bad things happen. I can't recommend these books enough. (laughs) How did that happen, Lisa Joe? Well, when I turned 30, I suddenly realized, I think I do want to have children. And we had kids. And I remember being in a season where I was, in fact, home with my kids. And I was awake at two in the morning. I had a kid that was projectile vomiting on me. You know, that kind of vomit that's like into your face, drips down your body, and then into your crotch. Like, it was so disgusting. <laughs> and I'm with this kid. He's screaming and puking. And I'm looking around me. There's no audience. There's no soundtrack. It's not like in the movies where you're empathizing with this mom because you're all watching her while she's alone. No, I was alone alone. I was real life alone. Nobody cares. Nobody's watching. And I remember thinking, oh my word, this is my life right now. Nobody cares. There's no performance review. I'm not changing the world. There's not a headline about what I've done right now. I'm just... The woman soaked in puke. This is my life right now. This is my business card. This is my title. How did this happen to me? I kid you not, in that moment, Christy, I had one of those experiences where it felt like God leaned over and whispered to me and said, Lisa Joe, all of heaven bears witness to this moment. We all see the heavenly hosts are crowded around watching you take care of this sick kid. And in God's economy, this moment is just as significant, carries just as much weight as the work you once did helping rescue women from trafficking. It was so shocking to me to get his perspective. And I realized how skewed my perspective had been, that it's not one or the other. I'm not defined by my business card or by my children, because we can skew all the other way, right? That's and true. Be like, that's true. Being a mother is the most important thing, and our children are the most important thing, and they define us, and that's what matters. Right. And both of those are are good things, but they're not the thing. Right. They are not the thing that defines us. And I realized in that that glimpse, that vomit drenched moment in time, that what my significant where my significance comes from is being a child of Christ. The fact that he knows me by name and he, I am beloved simply because I am his. That is where my significance comes from. Everything else in my life is a gift that Mm. he gives me. Everything. 
the work I got to do in Ukraine is he was giving me the opportunity to join him in his kingdom work of combating some of the worst kind of evil you see in the world. But that didn't define me. The fact that he knew me and called me and named me, that made me significant, not the business card. And the fact that I had these kids that I loved and that had changed me in my faith and in my journey and that I felt more and more drew me closer to him, it wasn't the kids that made me significant either. It was still the fact that I'm known and loved and named by a God who says I am significant, period. Like, there's no other job title necessary after that. Loved, known, named, significant, the end. Mm. (laughs) I mean, that radically, it radically changed how I view my own significance. So, I kid you not, I have this very fancy law degree framed from the University of Notre Dame. Uh I paid a lot of money for, like, the good mat and the fancy frame. Those sat underneath my kid's crib for like the for, for four years, just gathering Aww. dust down there while I dealt with puking kids in the middle of the night. And I just thought it put everything in perspective because yeah. those are good things, sure. But they're not the defining things. The defining things are the God who actually defines us. Hmm. I don't know where my diploma is, <laughs> actually. it it I don't know. It might be on a shelf somewhere here in this office, which, as you pointed out to me earlier, is... A book-lined office. (laughs) Where we are sitting in this attic room, there are shelves and shelves of books. Yeah, my husband Jonathan built those shelves, which is such a... I had gone gone away, and he built those for me while I was away. So, in some sense, the thing that I had been dreaming of that had I had invested with personal significance, I will live a significant life as a professor Mm -hmm. who can influence college students, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful dream. Right. It's Uh, beautiful. Yeah, absolutely worthwhile. But it didn't didn't work out for me. Mm. And yet I am now watching certain things about that dream that were good return to me. (laughs) Oh, I like that. And it's not so much about book-lined offices, (laughs) but seeing the book-lined office reminds me of the things that I once wanted that have been returned to me. But the interesting thing is I was finding my significance in this idea of being a college professor. And now I realize that I saw my value in what I could do. And God just saw my value. Right. right? That's so great, period. He yeah, just saw he just your saw value. my value. Right. And because he valued me and loved me, he cared about my well-being in a way that I was not even hmm. aware enough to care. Yeah. So when I did finally graduate and I started teaching in Florida, the the teaching schedule and I had young kids at home was quickly became very grueling. And I, I really struggled to, um, as an introvert, to pour into my students and pour into what was happening in the classroom and then to come back and pour into my kids. And um, I really struggled with that. It was, it was much more exhausting and a kind of soul level exhaustion mm. than I had experienced as a graduate student who just taught a little bit and on occasion. But God cared about that. And so in sort of leading me away from my own plans for significance mm. towards something else, I have received His care for me mm. so that the work that I do in this particular book-lined office is much more for me restful and quiet. I'm at home. Uh, my youngest just went to kindergarten, but for the past few years, I've been able to work flexibly and, and be with her in a way that I could not have done if I were continuing to pursue a a full-time 
academic career. So I'm reminded as you were talking that I recently made new business cards. Oh, really? Well, it was a couple of months ago. It was for, I was going to a conference. So yeah. it's not something I do regularly, but I was going to a big conference and I knew, uh, oh, I might meet some people there right. and I'd love to leave them with something. And so I ordered some new business cards and I had so much fun, again, because I'm not in a super professional role right now. I can have fun with my business card. So I had all kinds of fun choosing a little um, illustrated image to go on the card. So I was deciding between a picture of this kind of flower or I ended up going with a little image of elderberries, which I grow in the yard and love. And I made these business cards and it was only after I had had them printed and ordered and they arrived at my house that I looked at them and I realized that I hadn't even put on their Christy Purifoy PhD. I had left the PhD off. It never even occurred to me to put it on there. I had written Christy Purifoy, writer, gardener. That's what I put on my business card. And it was only when I looked at it that I thought, I'm going to a conference that is slightly intellectual and... It might have been nice to to tell people a little bit more about my background. Um, it, it was a place where I might have networked with people, say, who want book reviews written or, right, or thing, right. things where my, my background in English literature would have been relevant. So it would have made the most sense to include that on the business card. And I completely That is forgot. so <laughs> interesting. And I just had to laugh at myself because it was as if I was seeing evidence that in my deepest heart, I had finally fully aligned myself with the significance that God had yes. had Himself given me because yes. He cares for me, which is much more about creating love books that. and words and playing in the garden and <laughs> flowers and, and all of that. And so. I mean, you say playing in the garden, but the truth of it is you work very hard here. It takes, I'm always amazed at how much time, work, sweat, effort, it investment is hard work. it takes. It is. Because so we're satisfying not, though. Right. <laughs> and we're not saying to people that are listening, you know, up and quit your job and just feel loved and significant by the Lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wish that was a job, but as far as I know, they don't give you money for that. <laughs> and we recognize that we, you know, a lot of us got to work to bring home some income and provide for our kids. Yeah. But what we are hoping you will shift in the way you look at the work that you do is that it's not the work that defines you or or makes you significant. It's the God who loves you. Mm. And that's the great thing about parents. You don't have to do anything to earn their approval. They love you simply because of who you are and because they know you the best as you grow up and into them and into your own callings. If we are paying attention, then often they will provide opportunity for us to align more and more with a fresh version of how they see us. And so for me now, I still feel deeply passionate about issues of justice and and especially social justice and human rights issues. And it's been so interesting to see my shift now where I'm now able to use my blog and my platform and my writing and my community to mobilize and to be able to pour in support into communities home in South Africa that need a, a school or a classroom or a vegetable garden or you know a water pump. These are all places where my online communities now have helped contribute to raise money for communities home in South Africa. So it's the same passions that are there. It's just a different understanding that I'm no longer less than or more than because of what I'm doing. Mm. I am simply 
loved because Jesus says I am. So whether I've been in seasons of intense commuting into DC and working in offices there, or I've been in seasons of newborn kids being at home with them, or I've been in seasons of trying to balance dropping my kids at daycare and then commuting to work hours and come home and it's difficult and hard and it wouldn't be the job I would have chosen for many years at a time. The constant has been an understanding though that really who I am is defined by the God who loves me, not by the work I'm doing, which is great, especially when I'm doing work I don't enjoy that doesn't fit and align perfectly mm. with my passions. It's true. That's kind of a relief to, to right. realize that I can work well and hard and and need to do that work, but it doesn't it doesn't define, define me. me. Yeah. And a lot of us do that. There's a lot of parts of our lives that require that kind of work. And I think it can look different depending the season that we're in. You know, there are lots of jobs that are difficult and trying. There are lots of parts of jobs we love that are still things that are difficult and trying that yeah. we wish we didn't have to do and could skip out on. Absolutely. And thank goodness those don't define who we are because I think it would just feel really defeating. There are a lot of years where I was commuting into a job I did not love through gridlock traffic, leaving my kids in daycare as I know Really, the majority of moms in America do today that are working moms providing for their kids. And those days can just feel so exhausting and like you're just on a, you know, a hamster wheel over and over and you're trying to find meaning in it, but it's hard to stop to find meaning because you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to make it through to the next day. And knowing that there is a God who sees you in the midst of that and names you significant, when often you can just feel like one of many commuting in to jobs, man, it just really made a difference for me in my life to know that God God really does see us at a cellular and a soul level and is so passionate about us and, he's, and we are so beloved to him. And so it just, it constantly surprises me to discover over and over again. And I think it's a lesson I have to keep relearning mm. that it's not about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's simply about the person who loves me, period. Mm. And also, I think that the one who loves you is the one who made you. Right. And the one who knows you better than you know yourself. Right. And, and so the plans he has for us are good in a deeply personal way mm -hmm. um, and that we can trust him with the plans that he has for us. Right. Right. And that he, it wasn't like he said, okay, Lisa Joe, you know, working full time in human rights isn't where it's at. It's really here in motherhood. Mm -hmm. it, instead, it was like he took the passion I had mm -hmm. in advocating for women and helping make way for them to be rescued from trafficking. Mm -hmm. And then he said, okay, that's so great. You're passionate in that way about women, but now let's be passionate on behalf of women mm -hmm. who are home with their kids and who might feel like they're struggling in these trenches and the tension between working and raising children. Mm -hmm. Those women are also carrying a heavy burden. Can you come alongside and help lift it? Mm -hmm. So, in many ways, it's the same work. It just looks different, mm -hmm. right? It's still advocating on behalf of women. It's still championing who they are. It's still saying, I see God's image in you. Mm -hmm. It's still recognizing and calling that out, mm. but just in a different field. And it's so amazing to me that that is the character and nature of God. He understands who we are. So, at my core, I've always been an encourager and champion for women. So, it's just looked different in different seasons. In some seasons, I've advocated 
in a professional legal way. In other seasons, it's been as a writer. In other seasons, it's been as a speaker at conferences. And so when I look at you, I see the same. At, at heart, you've always been a teacher and a lover of words. Yes, always. And it's just look different in That's different right. seasons. That's right. I'm realizing as you're sharing that in our emphasis on ordinary life and the value of ordinary life, which is so good and what this podcast is all about, there's a danger there that in honoring ordinary life, we we get mixed up with thinking that then the value of our ordinary life is in the role that we're playing that mm, particular season. Right. So it's the the ordinary life of a wife that matters, or the ordinary life of a mother that matters, right. or the ordinary life of a teacher that matters. Instead of saying, there's our ordinary lives are going to look like all kinds of different things. So I'm just thinking, for instance, I have a friend who recently divorced mm. through, uh, and this was not her desire, and it's a very hard thing for her. If her significance had been too invested in being a wife, where does that leave her today? Right. Or I have a, a sister whose ordinary life changed drastically mm. when she was widowed. Now her role is very different. So when we talk about the beauty and preciousness of our ordinary lives, we don't want to fall into what could be a trap, I right. think, of, of then saying our significance is somehow wrapped up in these ordinary tasks we do as, as wife or husband or mother or father or grandparent or, or whatever it is. Because those things change. Those All things are, I don't want to say they're shifting sand, but they aren't the rock we're standing on. Right. Those roles are not the right. rock we're standing on. Right. I mean, you have moms who've homeschooled for 17 years. And then what happens when your last kid goes off right, to college, right? right? Yes, really what we are saying and to ourselves more than anyone is this constant reminder that our significance is is attached, is anchored in a God who names us significant because we're His. Anchored is a good period. word. Right. right. The waters around us are going to change. Yes. But, but we, we're anchored. We're anchored to Him. And that has helped me so much. So, listen, don't get me wrong. When I'm cleaning our closets and I find those old business cards, they still fill me with joy. I love Aww. them. I trace my finger <laughs> along the titles. <laughs> I'm grateful for all of those seasons. But I'm especially grateful for the God who has remained consistent. The titles can change. The business cards can come and go. But there's a God who sees me and loves me and names me and thank goodness it's enough because there are many seasons where I'm not enough, where I get it wrong or I fail or I don't get the job I applied for or the opportunity I was hoping for. And if my significance was attached to that, my goodness, it would be scary. Or my child horrifically disappoints all of us in this terrible <laughs> yeah. bad behavior in public. You know, yep. like I cannot attach my worth to that. It yep. has to be outside of that. <laughs> Oh, uh, so one of the one of the takeaways we had for you guys tonight, I guess I shouldn't say tonight, no matter what time you're listening, one of the takeaways we had for all of you listeners today is to invite you to do this. This was actually Christy's idea. I think it's such a good one. Do you want to say what it was? Uh, now I can't remember exactly how I put it to you, but I had this sense of what if we were writing business cards for ourselves? Yeah. But not the typical business right. card. What if you just grabbed an index card and you wrote up at the top your main title, Beloved Child of God, period. That's it. That is your full title. And then under it, you can write your subcategory titles, mm. you know, mom of three, homeschooler, you know, full-time 
executive, businesswoman, artist, designer, chef, mm-hmm. author, whatever it is, but they are underneath this other title of beloved child of God. And I know I am 100% going to do that. I'm going to do week. this too. Yeah. I'm going to do it. And it's fun. It really connects to one of the reviews we got this last couple of weeks that have been, you guys, we read all of them, all the reviews that you leave on iTunes and other places. We love them so much. It makes us feel like we're having a conversation with you and not just with each other. And we got this, this wonderful review from Pure Awesome Mama Fry. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong, but this is what she says. I loved your podcast. Thank you. I am a stay-at-home mom with my last child, a sophomore in our homeschool. I have been blessed to be able to do what I felt like God wanted for me since I was a little girl to be a wife and a mother. God led us to homeschool 18 years ago. I often feel like others think I don't do much. I should be something more. But anytime I allow myself to truly focus on what God desires, I know this is His will and I truly love it. When I look at that small thing, that little girl telling her class she was going to be a wife and a mother, I feel peace and I'm so thankful. So thank you both for reminding me that even my stay-at-home mom status is good enough and God can use me and the stage of my life for Him. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. That's perfect for this episode. So perfect. So yes, beloved child of God, period. And then homeschool mom underneath. And for other moms, it's going to be beloved child of God, full-time working mom out of the house. I just think we have to remember if we all name ourselves first beloved child of God, then there is no less than, there is no job that's better than, there is no one that's you know more suited to being a believer we name ourselves beloved child of God, and then we follow where He calls us to go, and we are grateful for the opportunities He provides to provide for our families or to take care of our kids. And we aren't defined by those things, though, because we know that the God who loves us has named us, and that's what defines us. 